Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. I am so glad you've taken the time to join us for another edition of Texas Ag Today. Well, did you know there are less hogs and pigs here in Texas than there were a year ago? We'll take a look at those numbers coming up. Plus, a couple of Texas pork producers participated in the recent Pork Industry Leadership Program. We'll hear from them in just a bit. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Transpecus. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. Flies have been with us since the dawn of time. But our Texas High Plains ranchers are having to deal with too many flies this season. I'm James Hunt and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. The importance of serving as a state FFA officer. I'm Tom Nicoletti and I'll have those details on Texas Ag Today. Two proposals in Congress to change federal estate taxes would hit farmers and ranchers especially hard. I'm Gary Joyner and I'll have those details on Texas Ag Today. We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. There are less hogs in Texas than there were a year ago. Jessica Domel takes a look at the numbers. The number of hogs and pigs in Texas has fallen 5% over the past year. According to a new report from the U.S. Department of Agriculture, there were a million hogs and pigs in Texas June 1st. Of those, 130,000 were breeding hogs. That's unchanged from last year. There were 870,000 market hogs, comprising 87% of the total hog and pig inventory. The market hog inventory is down 5% from May of last year. There were 632,000 pigs between March and May. That's down 16% from last year. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. And speaking of hogs, a couple of Texas pork producers recently participated in the Pork Leadership Institute. Jackie Lackey produces show pigs at Lackey Livestock in Haskell, Texas. I think being a part of programs like PLI really kind of get, a, get us out of our everyday comfort zone where we're able to continue our education off the farm. And I, I believe that participating in things like this makes you better at home, uh, bringing that understanding back. Wayne Craig is from Amarillo. He works for Cactus Feeders and says the program gives his company a great opportunity to learn more about the pork industry. Cactus is uh, background is in beef, and since 2014 we've been in pork production, so we're relatively new. This gives us the best opportunity to learn more about the industry. The Pork Leadership Institute is a comprehensive training program conducted jointly by the National Pork Producers Council and the National Pork Board. It's designed to help develop future leaders for the U.S. pork industry. Flies are becoming a big problem this spring in the Texas Panhandle. James Hunt reports from Amarillo. 
With good rains around most of the area in recent weeks, things are certainly looking greener out where cattle are grazing, but the animals are also facing some extra aggravation. We have seen quite a bit of fly pressure this season. Moisture brings on flies. That's Texas A&M AgriLife beef cattle specialist Jason Smith, who says flies can be a significant concern. Some flies, not all flies, but some flies are blood feeders, and so particularly can be problematic because from a physiological standpoint, that animal has to respond to that. For other flies, from a nuisance standpoint, that animal is going to devote time to trying to get those flies off of it when it wouldn't have to. So whether it's expending more energy to try and get rid of those flies or it's spending that time not grazing or not doing things that are going to help it from a productivity standpoint, those are going to be the things that wind up translating into economic consequences, whether that's decreased productivity on the cow side, decreased productivity on the calf side, or some combination of those two things. Flies are always going to be around, but especially with horn flies, at certain thresholds, it's time to take action. If producers are seeing cattle showing signs that the flies are irritating them, then that's a pretty good indicator that we're probably a little behind on our fly control program and probably need to think about doing some things. Dr. Smith says resources available to give cattle relief include poron treatments and insecticide-impregnated ear tags. We have a lot of different tools in the toolbox that we can use, and I've just encouraged producers to not just reach for one of those, but to try to develop a comprehensive and an integrated type fly control program. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The Texas FFA State Officer Team is wrapping up their year of service. Tom Nicoletti visits with one state officer about her year of experiences with the Texas FFA. My guest today is Emily Sanderson. She serves as Texas FFA First Vice President for the 2020-2021 year. Now, uh, you are a uh, graduate of Blackwell High School, and Blackwell's in Nolan County. That's between Big Spring and Abilene, and you have graduated and uh, have plans to uh, attend Texas Tech University uh, in the fall as a freshman, but uh, let's start with the importance of serving as an FFA officer. Why is it important to you? Part of the importance of an officer comes from recognizing that there are students all across the state of Texas with different backgrounds, whether they come from a small school like mine or a huge school, whatever their background is in agriculture or education, that it's important that we recognize how we can serve them. I started out my perfect career as a chapter officer, and so I think the importance of being a local officer is just as important as the position I have now as a state officer, and that's because the students need to be served and heard and empowered to do their very best through these years. And so how will all of this help you in the future? The FFA has allowed me to take away many things, but I think it comes down to three simple items, which actually are included in the FFA mission statement, which is premier leadership, personal growth, and career success. I have been able to hone in and develop my leadership skills, not only this year, but throughout these past six years enough space for myself, leading teams and learning to be a follower when needed. I've also been able to develop my personal growth skills and grown personally, whether that's maturing in my mindset or being able to learn new things about myself. And finally, career success. 
this is the big one that I think is going to help me in the future. I have been able to find my love for agriculture within this organization, and it's provided me with the platform to continue on in a future career. Now, Emily, what does agriculture mean to you as a fourth-generation cattle ranch family is where you come from out in uh, Nolan County? When I think about what agriculture means to me, I think back to that simple notion that we're all tasked with taking care of something. What my grandparents always told me was that we were tasked with taking care of the land, leaving this world better than we found it. And so to me, agriculture is not only the backbone of what I stand for, but it's also my responsibility to leave it better than I found it. That is State FFA First Vice President Emily Sanderson. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Two tax proposals in Congress would hit Texas farmers and ranchers especially hard. Gary Joyner tells how. The Agricultural and Food Policy Center at Texas A&M ran the numbers. What it found was that two proposals in Congress to change current estate tax law would hit family farmers extremely hard. The Sensible Taxation and Equity Promotion Act, or STEP Act, proposes to eliminate stepped-up bases upon death of the owner. The For the 99.5% Act would decrease the estate tax exemption to $3.5 million or $7 million per couple, among other things. The Policy Center maintains a database of 94 representative farms in 30 different states. Under current tax law, it says only two of the 94 representative farms would be impacted by an event triggering a generational transfer. By contrast, under the STEP Act, 92 of the 94 representative farms would be impacted, with additional tax liabilities incurred averaging $726,104 per farm. Under the 99.5% Act, 41 of the 92 representative farms would be impacted, with additional tax liabilities incurred averaging $2.17 million per farm. If both the STEP Act and the 99.5% Act were simultaneously implemented, the Policy Center says 92 of the 94 representative farms would be impacted, with additional tax liabilities incurred averaging $1.43 million per farm across the 92 representative farms. Members of Congress requested the study. The numbers don't lie. America's family farms and ranches can't afford these two estate tax proposals to become law. I'm Gary Joyner for Texas Ag Today. A grassroots coalition is hoping the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department will take another step to prevent the spread of chronic wasting disease. I'm Jessica Domel, and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today. And food allergies can affect dogs, but diagnosing that problem can be difficult. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. Texas Farm Bureau Insurance has protected fellow Texans with auto, home, health, and life insurance since 1952. With more than 260,000 square miles of land and 27 million people, that's a lot to cover. Whether you're wrangling cattle or wrangling kids, we're proud to protect Texans in all Texan ways of life. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to get insurance for Texans by Texans. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. 
We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Food allergies can affect dogs, but diagnosing that problem is not easy. Dr. Bob Judd tells us there's more to it than just changing the dog's food. We have lots of clients come into our clinic which believe strongly that their dog does not have a food allergy because they have tried multiple foods. However, it's important to realize that unless you are feeding a specific food ingredient that your dog has never eaten any of the ingredients in the food, or unless the food is a special veterinary food with hydrolyzed protein, the food you are feeding could still be the problem. If you look at a bag or can of food, there are multiple ingredients, and your pet could be allergic to any one of them. And although the main ingredients in the food may be different, lots of the minor ingredients may be the same. Also, food companies do not sterilize their plants routinely when switching from one food to another, as this is expensive. So if the last food they manufactured, for example, had chicken in the ingredients and your dog is allergic to chicken, the DNA from the chicken will still be present to some degree in the next food they manufacture. So the only methods of feeding a completely naive food for your pet is to cook it yourself with a balanced recipe from your vet or feed a food available from your vet. And I know these foods are expensive, but you only need to feed them for about two months to determine if food is the problem. These foods are only a test to determine if food allergy is involved. You do not have to feed these expensive foods forever, but it is required to make a diagnosis because it has been shown that blood and skin testing for food allergies are not accurate. Although blood and skin tests are recommended by some for food allergy, these results should not be trusted. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The efforts continue to protect Texas deer from chronic wasting disease. Jessica Domel has more in today's Wildlife Report. A grassroots coalition of landowners, hunters, conservationists, scientists, and concerned citizens has been encouraging the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department and Commission to take swift and decisive action to protect the state's captive and wild deer populations from chronic wasting disease. And last week, the department implemented an emergency order preventing additional deer breeders from moving their herds and requiring more testing. But the Grassroots Coalition had hoped for a bit more from the order. Tio Kleberg, a member of the Grassroots Coalition, explains. We hope that the CWD emergency rule would take effect where they would look at the deer breeding facilities in Texas especially those, there's five facilities that have affirmatively tested for CWD, that they would look at those facilities, identify the transferred deer in those facilities, and require uh, anti-mortem testing for those facilities. One of the things that we'd like to see happen is permanent identification of the deer in the deer breeding facilities. Right now, if a deer escapes from one of those facilities and they have a large number that have uh, not not been able to be identified because they don't have any branding or anything that's a visible ID, we think that's imperative to be able to follow these deer if they leave those uh, enclosed facilities. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. We saw a mixed trade in the cattle market on Tuesday while corn prices continue to climb. 
We'll have a complete look at all of our livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Did you know that one out of every three mouthfuls of food we eat is produced by insect pollination, most of which is done by bees? In fact, bees are vitally important to food production. That's why modern agriculture is working with beekeepers to promote bee health. Ensuring a sustainable food supply requires each of us to play our part in preserving the land and protecting pollinators. This public service announcement is brought to you by Syngenta. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. We had a mixed trade in the cattle complex on Tuesday. We ended up closing higher in both live and feeder cattle futures. June live cattle up 45 cents, 122.50. The August up 32 at 121.92. October live cattle up 22 cents, 127.75. Feeder cattle higher. August feeders up $1.05 at 157.40. September up 72 cents, 159.80. October feeder cattle up 52 at 161.57. We've seen some early action in the cash-fed cattle market this week. We normally don't see any trade on Tuesday, but that did happen. Reports out of Nebraska show that 4,000 head sold. The price, 126.5, just a bit higher than last week. Other sales reported around the country, 122 to 126 is the price range on live cattle this week. Dressed sales in the Midwest have reached as high as 203. Boxed beef prices continue the lower trend, lower again on Tuesday with choice down 462, 292.81, select down 250 at 271.46. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. When you hear auctioneer Troy sound off, it's time to review a sale that went on this Saturday in Lexington, Texas. Russell Heller, Lexington Livestock Commission Company. How many noses did you count? Yes, sir. It was a good sale. 867 total head with 91 cows. Let's walk the pins. All right. The thinner packer cows, 40 to 55, and the better ones, 56 to 78. Steering bull calves, 3 to 400 pounds, 110 to 195. 4 to 5 weights, 115 to 185. 5 to 6 weights, 110 to 165. Six to seven weights a dollar five to one fifty. Seven to eight weights a dollar to one forty three. On the heifers, three to four pound heifers, one fifteen to one sixty five. Four to five weights, one ten to one fifty five. Five to six weights a dollar five to one fifty. Six to seven weights a dollar to one thirty eight. Seven to eight weight heifers, ninety five to one twenty four. Good deal. How did your numbers this week compare to last week? It was almost about the same. Good. And did you check last year to see how it was? Yes, sir. It was a few more than last year. All right. What was the quality of the cattle week to week? Cattle's been real good. I mean, been having 15 to 30 or 40 head bunches selling, and those are usually your better ranch calves coming right now. Right. What's the weather like there up there, up there today? Uh, yesterday we had an inch and a half of rain Sunday, something. So, and it's cloudy right now, so hopefully we'll keep receiving some. Well, good deal. Now, no sales this Saturday. That's correct. No sales July 3rd. All right. Well, tell everybody how to get a hold of you for the next time you sell, which will be that one after the holiday. 
Yes, sir. You can get me on my cell, and that number is 979-820-7002. Thank you, Russell Heller. That's Russell Heller, Lexington Livestock Commission Company. They sell them every Saturday. I'm Larry Marble, and you're my neighbor. Neighbor, thanks for listening to Walk in the Pens on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Good day. Thanks, Larry. Now back over to the futures market where lean hogs closed higher on Tuesday. July hogs up 202, 106.97. August up 85 cents, 103.62. Class 3 milk was mixed. The nearby June down a penny, 719 a hundredweight. July milk up 20 cents at 16.98. A mixed close in the cotton market, a mostly quiet trade as traders were preparing for Wednesday morning's USDA acreage report. The pre-report guesses 11.8 million acres. That's compared to last year's 12.09 million. USDA releasing crop condition ratings this week showing 52% of the cotton crop in good to excellent condition. That's unchanged from last week. We close with October cotton down 13 points, 88.14. The December up 15, 87.58. Traders in the corn market seem to be doing the same thing that cotton traders were, mostly just quiet, biding their time ahead of the USDA acreage report, so we didn't see much movement in corn on the new crop contracts. However, that old crop July did see a big gain, up 19 cents. At six ninety four and a half, new crop September up a penny, five fifty nine and a quarter. The December up one and a quarter, five forty eight and a half. Slightly higher close for hard wheat, lower close for soft wheat. July Kansas City wheat up a penny, six nineteen. July Chicago wheat down six and a quarter, six thirty nine and three quarters. Rough rice finishing higher. September rice up 11 cents, 13.57 a hundredweight. But no movement in soybeans. November beans unchanged, 13.12 and a half. July soybean meal down 320, 348.40 a ton. In the energy markets, August natural gas up 6 cents at 366. August crude oil up 52. 73.43 a barrel. The financial markets were slightly higher. The Dow up 10 points, 34,294. The Nasdaq up 24 at 14,524. The S&P 500 unchanged, 4,290. That wraps up our look at the markets. And that wraps up another edition of Texas Ag Today. Don't forget, we'll be right back here tomorrow to bring you all of the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Kerry Martin. Hope to see you then, right here on Texas Ag Today. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.